Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 to 22. And it's, the passage is entitled, Jacob's Dream at Bethel. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Thanks, Martin. Morning to you all. Let's pray as we come to God's Word. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Lord God, we do praise you that you are in this place this morning. And we do pray now as we look at your word that you would make that presence known to us, you would reveal yourself to us clearly through your word that we would go away from here saying surely the Lord was in this place and we were aware of it. Lord, speak to us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, earlier on in the book of Genesis, we read the story of the Tower of Babel. Uh, When people, in their arrogance, tried to build a tower that reached up to heaven. And God's response was to confuse their language and to scatter them throughout the earth. And ever since, people have continued to try and build bigger and taller and more impressive buildings. Uh, This is um, the tower, the bell tower in Bruges, um, which um, at different stages has been built at different heights. This is the original height here. 
and somebody decided they'd build it a bit bigger and somebody a bit bigger at different stages. There was apparently originally a spire on the top, but that was hit by lightning. Um, more recently, that is the tallest building in the world, the, uh, the Burj Khalifa in Dubai, measuring 830 meters, not far off the tallest mountain in England, Scarfell, 980 meters. Uh, but it's not just buildings. Um, this year, you may know, is the 50th anniversary of the landing on the moon, which, um, as Neil Armstrong said, was one small step for man, but one giant leap for mankind. And it may not be long before we have commercial trips going round the moon at the small price of $75 million a ticket. Man has always wanted to know and show what he's capable of. It's what the, uh, the famous rock song by uh, Led Zeppelin called Stairway to Heaven, which came after the, the Bible um, version. Uh, if you know that one, if it goes back to your time, the lyrics go like this. There's a lady who's sure all that glitters is gold, and she's buying a stairway to heaven. When she gets there, she knows if the stores are all closed, with a word, she can get what she came for. But of course she can't, can she? Because all the money in the world cannot buy you a place into heaven. It may buy you a trip to the moon, but it won't buy you a place in heaven. Others don't try and use their money or their ingenuity to get into heaven, but maybe their moral behavior. They think if they can show that they are, are somehow good enough, then they will deserve a place in heaven. If you keep the Ten Commandments, if you uh, perform the, the five pillars of Islam, if you uh, follow the Buddhist eightfold path to enlightenment, you'll get your place. But again, none of those things will be good enough. And the good thing is they don't need to be, because God has opened the way to heaven. And he's done that for even the most undeserving of people. In our reading this morning, we find Jacob at rock bottom. Up to this point, he tried to do everything in his own strength, and, and it's got him nowhere. He's fleeing for his life from his brother. He's not even thinking about God. And yet, God incredibly reveals himself to Jacob. And he does so in this amazing way, by giving him the vision, the dream of a stairway. A stairway that would make the, the Burj Khalifa look like a footstool. A stairway that reaches all the way to heaven. And even more amazing, a stairway in which God's angels are coming down from heaven. But in case you weren't um, uh, here last week, let's recap on how we got to this point. Uh, back in chapter 26, we saw how God passed on the, the promise that he'd made to Abraham. He passed that on to his son Isaac. And this is what God said. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. That promise is the promise of salvation uh, to all nations on the earth. That will ultimately come through Jesus Christ. Uh, and at this time, we assume that the promise would be passed on to Isaac's eldest son, to Esau. But his wife, Rebecca, is told this by God. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger 
then the other and the elder will serve the younger. And we looked at how that was picked up in the, the book of Romans in the New Testament, which explained the reason why God chose Jacob over his older brother, which was to emphasize God's sovereignty and his mercy and not our human effort. This is what it says in Romans. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything, good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. It does not, therefore, depend on human effort, human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. But having been given that assurance, we then saw how every member of Isaac's family messed up. They all failed in one way or another. Esau gave up his birthright for a bowl of stew. Isaac intended to give his blessing to Esau despite what what God had said. Rebekah, his mother, um, conspired with Jacob to deceive Isaac, to cheat Esau out of his blessing. And three times... Jacob deliberately lies to his father about who he is in order to receive the blessing. And when Esau realizes he's been cheated out of what he thinks is rightfully his, he vows to to take revenge on Jacob and to kill him. And that's where we left the story in um, verse 41 of uh, chapter 27. We pick it up in verse 42. Have a look back at the previous page. Uh, Here, Rebecca uh, finds out about Esau's plans and she decides to protect Jacob by sending him off to his uncle in Haran. That was where Rebecca came from. Um, It was where Abraham had sent his servant many years before to get a wife for his son, Isaac. That's where Rebecca came from. And Rebecca has come up with a way, though, of convincing Isaac that this is a good idea. Um, And being quite cunning, she suggests that Jacob needs to find a wife from among their own people. You may recall back at the end of chapter 26, Esau, we're told, had married two Hittite women, two Canaanite women who were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebecca. And so it made a lot of sense to Isaac. So he calls Jacob in and he tells him, what he is to do. And yet before he goes, have a look at verse 3 of chapter 28. He gives him a prayer of blessing. Even though Jacob has deceived him. And I wonder if that is because Isaac, despite the pain of being deceived, of being lied to, now accepts what God's plan is for Jacob. And instead of trying to give that blessing to Esau, as he did before, he's now praying in accordance with God's will. The thing is, though, our sins still have consequences. And the sad thing about this whole episode is the circumstances under which Jacob is going away. When Abraham sent his servant to find a wife for his son Isaac, he sent him off with a whole load of of wealth and belongings to pay for his wife. Jacob is going with nothing. He will have to pay for his wife himself by working hard for many years and it will be 20 years before he comes home again. He's going in disgrace. And the lesson from that is that sin causes alienation. For all of their clever scheming, it has got Jacob 
and his mother nowhere. Jacob is leaving with no inheritance at that stage. He'll never see his mother again. And he's going with his brother's threat ringing in his ears. It's like many families today, isn't it? A dysfunctional family driven by bitterness and jealousy. And so our reading from verse 10 of chapter 18, 28, finds Jacob setting off by foot on his own from Beersheba to Haran, which you see on this map is right up there in the top corner, about 500 miles away. It's a long journey by foot. And we're told that after a day's walking, um, it says here, when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. The reason we're not given the name of the place because there is no town here. It's in the middle of nowhere. The sun has gone down, it's dark, and Jacob is nowhere to stay. The physical darkness symbolizes the spiritually dark place in which Jacob finds himself. Jacob gets out his pillow. Well, he doesn't, doesn't he? He doesn't even have a, a pair of socks he can roll up and put his head on. All he can do is put his head on a stone. Doesn't get much more uncomfortable than that. The whole situation is a reminder. If we don't follow God's good instructions for us, we will end up wrecking our lives. And we see it all the time, doesn't it? And it grieves us because we know where it is heading when people make those bad choices. And despite warnings, they, they think they know best and all we can do is let them go. But it's taking them away from God and his love and his blessing. Jacob is totally vulnerable. And you might have thought that in his desperation, he might call out to God. He might repent of his lying, repent of his deceit and ask for God's help. But there's none of that. There's no prodigal son moment here. No, no sense of coming to his senses and repenting. Which makes what happens next all the more remarkable. Because God in his mercy reveals the stairway to heaven. Despite his uncomfortable pillow, um, Jacob is probably as tired as all those lighthouse helpers this week. He's exhausted. And he goes to sleep. And he has a dream. This is not just any dream, this is a vivid dream from God. And God does still reveal himself in dreams, and some of you may have had dreams. I know he speaks to Muslims often in dreams, people who who wouldn't otherwise have access to the gospel. But in this dream we're told Jacob sees a stairway. The bottom of the stairway is on the earth, and the top reaches to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. As I said before, we can't make it to heaven by our own efforts, but we don't have to because God came down to earth. He opened up the way to heaven. And there above the stairway, we're told, stood the Lord. And he said these amazing things. I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants, the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Isaac prayed that God would bless Jacob with the blessing that he and his father had received. And now 
Jacob is receiving that blessing. He's receiving that promise directly from God. It's a blessing of land that points forward to the blessing of heaven. It's a blessing of offspring who will spread out to the corners of the earth. It's the same promise that God made to Abraham back in chapter 13. In the, chapter 13, verse 14, this is what God said to Abraham. Look around from where you are to the north and south to the east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. So that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could not be counted. Well, if that's the big picture, that is a big promise that uh, God is making Jacob. What will happen right now though? Because he's in a quite a difficult situation, isn't he? He needs to know that in his loneliness, in his alienation from his family, in his uncertainty about uh, what will await him when he gets to Haran, whether he will ever come back to Beersheba, to his family, he needs to know that God is with him. He needs to know that God will protect him. And sure enough, look what God says. He says, I am with you. I will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. What a wonderful promise, isn't it? God is saying you didn't need to take things into your own hands. You didn't need to deceive your father. You don't need to live your life that way. All you need to do is trust in me and my promises for you. And I will provide for you. And what we, I think all of us can take away from this is that we don't need to try and build our ladder to heaven. We cannot get to heaven in our own strength. Unfortunately, we don't need to because God has come down from heaven in the form of Jesus, the one who gave up the majesty, the glory of heaven. He came down to earth. He took on human form. He died so that we could be forgiven. He rose to life. He conquered death so that we can be friends with God. Jesus is the stairway to heaven. Jesus said himself, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be, will be saved. They will come in, they will go out, they will find pasture. He said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And to Nathaniel, as he called him to follow him, he said very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Not only is Jesus the way in which we individually can enter heaven, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to Jacob. When he said all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring, Jesus is that offspring. And it's through his disciples that that blessing then goes out to all peoples. Before ascending to heaven, Jesus gave his disciples this commission. He said, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Disciples of all nations. And just as God promised Jacob that I will not leave you, So does Jesus give us that promise. He gives us today that promise. He says, I'm surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And God calls us to do something. He doesn't expect us to do it in our own strength. 
He goes with us. He does the work through us. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God, in his mercy, reveals the stairway to heaven. And he promises to be with us. And the angels are proof of that protective love as they come down and go up. It's a wonderful assurance for Jacob to know that he's being looked after. What happens when Jacob wake up, wakes up? Have a look at verse 16. It says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. God has been with him since he, he came out of his mother's womb, grasping his brother's heel. God saw everything that he's done. He saw him conspiring with his mother. God was there when he deceived his father. His father might have been blind, but God saw everything. God was there as he found a stone to put his head on, as he went to sleep alone in the middle of nowhere. But up to now, Jacob wasn't aware of it. Finally, Jacob's realized that God is real and he's there and he is his God. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. The world is buying into Satan's lie that there is no God. After all, you cannot see God. You cannot prove that he exists. The best thing you can do in life is therefore just make the best of it while it lasts. Use whatever skills and qualifications and wealth and opportunities you have to, to bring yourself wealth and happiness. And so people are carrying on living, eating and drinking, working, going on holiday as if God is not there. But he is there. And they're just not aware of him. I wonder if you can recall the moment when you became aware of God. You had known about him, but you came to know him personally for yourself. Maybe you'd been coming to church for, for many years and uh, it just washed over you. It was a nice place to come. The people were quite friendly, got a good cup of coffee, and had a good of, bit of a sing-song, but didn't really change you. But then God revealed himself to you. And something changed within you. You looked at life differently. You, you looked at people differently. Your priorities changed. You no longer tried to do things in your own strength. You, you were no longer just out to get what you could out of life. Life was no longer just about you. Suddenly, your whole perspective changed. Maybe you're still waiting for that to happen. And if so, I pray that you would persevere, that you would keep seeking God. Because he promises that if you seek him with all your heart, you will find him. Do we need to go into the wilderness and find a stone for our head and uh, wait for a dream to see God? No. Although it's a great reassurance that even if we are in a spiritual wilderness, even if we are as low as it can get, he can still come to us. He will still show his mercy to us. Even if we are far from him, he hasn't given up on us. The question we need to ask ourselves, though, is even if we are already Christians, is do we know 
that God is right here with us? Do we know that he's not just here in this church during this time of worship right now, he's with us as we go from here in every hour of our lives, in every place we go to? Do you know that he's there with you when you go to work tomorrow morning, when you're busy looking after the children, when you go to the shops, when you, when you walk the dog? Let's pray that we would be able to say, the Lord surely is in this place and I am aware of it. Let's pray that the Lord will reveal himself to us in those places and that he would use us to reveal him to others in those places. Because that's the way in which he often reveals himself to others through his people. Hence the commission of Jesus to go into all the nations. In our acts of kindness, in our words of comfort and encouragement, we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We are making him known. What difference is this encounter with God made to Jacob? He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Time after time in the Bible, when people have a personal encounter with God, the response is awe. It is fear. It's difficult to explain in words exactly what that is. It's mixed with fear. Jacob was afraid, but it's not like a fear of someone or something that's going to do him harm. He knows he's safe, but it's a reverent fear of God's power and majesty and glory. But he now has to do something. When you've had a personal encounter with God, your, your life is never the same again. You can't just carry on doing things the way you've always done them. You now want to please God with faithfulness and obedience. Jacob made a memorial to God in that place to remind him of what he'd experienced, his personal encounter with God. He said the stone is a pillar, he poured oil on it. Oil is a symbol of being set apart. Jesus Christ is the anointed one. He changes the place, uh, the name of the place to Bethel, which means house of God. God was in this place. And he makes a vow, he makes a promise. If God will be with me, And will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. I don't think it's a promise in the sense of, well, if God does all those things, then I will do something for him. It's it's saying that God has promised to be with him. And I trust him. And therefore I will follow him as my God. And when at some point uh, I have something to give him, I will give back to him what he has blessed me with. Once we know God, once we've been born again, we willingly submit everything to him. It's not some sort of grudging obligation. We do it out of joy, don't we? Because we know everything we have comes from him. It's an appreciation of God's mercy towards us. As Paul writes in Romans, we finish with these words. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, your lives, as a living sacrifice, holy 
and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Our worship isn't just what we do when we come together on a Sunday. Our worship is what we do with our lives, with the rest of the week. Will we offer up our lives to God, to be used by him for his glory? Or will we just use them for our own selfish enjoyment? Surely, the Lord is in this place.